electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. Today, an upgrade for NVIDIA. Is this the bottom for the chips? Plus, for maybe the first time, somebody telling Elon Musk he should not have stayed quiet as Kathy Wood continues to sell Twitter. Those details in a moment. And don't miss our exclusive with Microsoft's Brad Smith talking privacy and a lot more, John. Yeah, we're starting off with that NVIDIA upgrade. New Street upping the chipmaker to a buy with 25% upside after initial fears of a crypto-led downturn. In fact, they say any short-term worries about plateauing Ethereum hash rates are just an opportunity to take a larger position in the company. New Street cites NVIDIA's ongoing strength in gaming, visualization, and data center as reasons for secular growth, shrugging off potential supply chain issues the echoes of the metaverse uh, story uh, in there, but whether you believe the metaverse is a place or just an exciting marketing idea, it's hard to argue with how NVIDIA has advanced its technology, graphic processing in yeah. mainstream computing, and now pushing into software as well. Yeah, the note talks about those secular shifts, and when you take a look at you know a part of crypto, what percentage of crypto was the actual business. Um, they estimate that it boosted that gaming revenue by about $2 billion. But a theme in that note, uh, and I'll read two headlines from there, probable mispriced in. Stock is clearly anticipating some disappointment. And I wonder, Carl, if this is going to be a theme for the earnings season ahead. If you got to look for those names that have been beaten down, like in NVIDIA, find out how much of that disappointment's, you know, priced in. And perhaps those could be the ones to choose for the earnings season. Uh, it's definitely true. I mean, the extreme example today, D, is this upgrade of J.B. Hunt uh, 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 this morning, was basically arguing that the streets already discounted a recession in transportation. Mm -hmm. So we are definitely seeing an uptick in these sort of value-oriented upgrades of various names. But today, uh, this is one in tech. Yeah, and we're going to take a broader look at uh, the markets. Our next guest sees a tough road ahead for tech, predicting inflation could still get worse with ripple effects from supply chain and geopolitical issues. Joining us now, New Street Advisors Group founder and CEO Delano Saparo. Uh, Delano, great to have you with us. So uh, the number of people have come out over the past days and talked about peak inflation. You don't think we're there, though. Why? Hey, Dee, and thanks, John and Carl, as well, for having me on. I don't, I don't think we're quite there yet. I would like to see um, the numbers next month. And this month, obviously, if you strip out you know, energy and food items, when you get to that core consumer price index number, you are seeing some, um, some moderation in the increases month over month, right? You saw used car sales dip down a little bit. You saw some other numbers start to moderate as well. I do think we want to see a little bit more in the next couple of months to be able to say that we've peaked. The market, obviously, when they disseminated the information, Information that came out yesterday um, saw some good things. But um, as, the, as the day went on, we started to pull back in the market. So we'd want to see a little bit more information before we can start to say that we're peaking and before we start to guess what the Fed may do as far as the projections on rate increases, Deidre. So Delano, what's your strategy then for the earnings season ahead? Are you looking at some of those beaten down names going in for an upside surprise? How do you think that those factors, if we're not at peak inflation, is going to play out? 
Yeah, Deidre, I definitely am. And some of my strategy is dollar cost averaging. And obviously, if you're looking at mega cap tech and large cap tech right now, uh, we've seen some, some of the stocks pull back quite considerably. Now, I do think there's areas for investors to look at. If you're looking at digital ad revenue, there was a report that came out that we jumped 35% last year. And obviously, some big beneficiaries of digital ad revenue growth. You have your Googles, you have your Facebooks. Obviously, on the e-commerce point, you have Amazon. And these are some stocks that obviously have sold off a bit. But could have some t- earnings that prove that they can start to make some growth headways um, in the near term, right? And so if you look at some of the valuations on a price to earnings forward ratio for a lot of these companies that have taken a, a beating over the past six months, there are some areas in the, for, for investors to look at, Deidre. Well, you know, Dono, speaking of companies whose stocks have been beating down, and we, we actually gave a nod to the metaverse a minute ago, <laughs> what do you think of this report uh, about Meta and Horizon Worlds, the idea that they could be taking, um, you know, as large a share of some transactions as 47 percent. You think uh, developers are mad about Apple's App Store now? 47 percent. Is that good news for those who believe in the metaverse and, and want to buy Meta here? Or is it a sign that it's going to be more of the same? Yeah, great question, John. I think some of that will be parsed out as you look at the Quest, um, the, uh, the ability to buy on Quest, as well as creators selling in the Horizon world. So if you add those two together, then you're starting to get to, to the number around the 47%, which they do think um, that the management has talked about that going down over time. So I do think it's, it's obviously a new area, and, and it's a big push that Meta is making, changing the whole strategy of your company, changing your whole strategy of, 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 in the name. I think creators have to find a place as we figure out what this metaverse actually is. <laughs> There's so many companies doing things. You saw Epic raise $2 billion. But what does this actual space mean? And what does the space mean for creators and the community involved? The people that figure that out, I think, are going to be the biggest beneficiaries from that. And obviously, you see companies are planning to take big, big revenue cuts from it. And Meta is a, a, the big family of apps, over 2 billion users. If they figure this out correctly, it could be beneficial for, for shareholders. Yeah, while we're on Meta, Delano, uh, RBC today uh, says uh, their channel checks of small and medium-sized business uh, raise our conviction that Meta is likely to see another rocky quarter uh, upcoming, prompting lower estimates. They cut the target to 240. Uh, They argue that some of these businesses and clients are considering new channels uh, for the first time. Some of that's just a a business balance sheet issue, but also uh, the ability to target on Meta. I wonder if you think that quarter's at risk. Yeah, 100%. I think... If you look at Facebook as one of Meta's platforms, you know, they're showing a little bit less as far as user growth, right? But they're showing more growth on the Reels side. And if you look at where you see Reels really kind of taking off, you have your TikTok platforms, you obviously have Instagram platforms, which is obviously under Meta. But I do think that is something to have concern. Ad revenue is the biggest chunk of revenue for Meta, and they need to have many different channels where they could do that. I think if you look at e-commerce, there's still 5.5 million people that registered new businesses in 2021. So that does... sent to benefit some companies. And I believe some of those companies happen to be Amazon and Shopify, which Shopify is obviously taking a beating, but they're making some strategic shifts, especially with the NFT platform they mentioned. So I do think there's going to be beneficiaries from that. Amazon having most of the market share on the e-commerce front, I think benefits from new businesses being created on, on that side, Carl. Delano, last earnings season was just remarkable. You saw these huge moves from some of the mega caps of 10, 15 percent in the after hours trading. Do you think that that's in store for this season as well? Where do expectations lie? And was that like a one off thing or could that continue? I don't think it was a one off thing. I think a lot of these companies 
have had strong, strong quarter numbers and have strong earnings. And I think, you know, how the market reacts on that versus what inflation and rate hikes is going to be the big beneficiary on where we see the stock prices go. I think these companies will, pro will provide strong numbers because the core businesses are still strong. We're just battling some macro level events that um, lean into that and are re-rating some of these companies. So couldn't predict if we're going to see some huge jump, but I do think people that are holding like myself um, should be continue to hold and look for opportunities to buy here, Deidre. Delano, thanks for the preview. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's turn to Twitter this morning. ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood's been offloading shares all year, as you know, slashing her stake even further amid the Elon Musk saga this past week. But with Musk no longer joining the board, Kathy still predicts even more drama ahead. Here she is in an interview yesterday on Closing Bell. Overtime, take a listen. We had been cutting back on Twitter uh, after Jack Dorsey uh, handed over the reins. We had been selling, and uh, we know there is now going to be a lot of management distraction, and maybe board distraction, with or without uh, Elon. He's going to, he's going to met, get his message across uh, probably even more effectively uh, not on the board, which may be the reason he is not uh, going to uh, be on the board. Wood's expectations obviously coming true so far. We have a group of Twitter shareholders now suing Musk, alleging he failed to disclose that more than 9% stake to the SEC within the proper time frame, D. And maybe that's why stock's gone from almost 55 back to 46. Yeah, look at that. Uh, big spike up and then back down. She said, we don't know if the advertising model, the subscription model, or a combination of that is going to prevail, John. What if it's none of those? It is so hard to know what Elon Musk is going to do if he gets a bigger stake in Twitter, what he'll do with that. Maybe there's a Web3 play here. And I think that's the key is you just don't know. As she said, she started selling after Jack Dorsey stepped down. Um, but I think the future is uncertain and, as she said, maybe filled with drama. I just enjoy seeing Kathy Wood pour cold water on anything. It's yeah. just like, you know, it's like, how often do you get to see that? Uh, you know, at least something that a number of people have hopes uh, will turn around, but uh, just goes to show, like, it's hard for Twitter to find a friend. Well, let's see if it has one here. Our next guest might not be suing Elon, but he's a vocal tech critic taking aim at Musk and Twitter, as well as NFT's new board ape-filled world and Google and Facebook's ad-supported business models. Joining us now, Glitch CEO Anil Dash. Uh, Anil, good morning. Um, hey, John. Good to see you. First, got to have your take on uh, Twitter's prospects and its handling of its largest shareholder um, <laughs> using its platform against it. You know, I, I'm old fashioned. I think corporate governance matters. And I think what you look for in a board member is somebody who's going to keep things running well and be stable. Uh, and somebody who's been a bad actor on the platform seems like a poor choice. Uh, just for the governance role. So again, maybe that might be a throwback idea that somebody on the board is supposed to be helping the company succeed. Uh, but that's sort of where I start. But when somebody's bought almost a tenth of your company uh, and is a huge actor on your platform, uh, bad or not, depending on how you look at it, I mean, th that's quite a challenge to navigate, isn't it? Yeah, I, do, I don't envy them, them having to navigate that. But I do look at this sort of part of the broader conversation about, you know, what matters and, and hype versus what's real and across tech, whether it is Musk or Web3 or Metaverse. There's a lot of buzzwords, a lot of hype. Uh, and I think a lot of what has to be sat down is what part of this is real and substantive. Yeah, it may take some time to flesh that out to Neil. Uh, we're going to be talking to Microsoft President Brad Smith later on. He's going to be talking about their plans for an app star. He's going to say that it's going to promote competition, fairness, innovation, 
Do you believe that? Do developers believe it? Do they want it? I like their strategy. So, you know, context for me, you know, I work, we build Glitch. It's a platform where developers create apps, millions of them. And so we get a glimpse into what do developers care about. And the thing is that kind of gives you a little vision into the future because they sort of don't go with the BS. They're going to be very, very critical about what they look at. And the substance of what developers are showing is they really like the open web. Now, whether that's called Web3 or whatever, Metaverse is a good example. There's a lot of hype. I don't know why Facebook changes their name. But if you look at what are developers actually building for AR and VR, they are building on the open web and by orders of magnitude more than any closed platform, any one of the big mm. vendors. And I think that's a really interesting signal. That's the kind of thing that lends promise to Microsoft's approach, for example, where they're saying open web apps might be able to be listed in their store. That's a win for developers, which means over time it becomes a win for consumers. So does that mean that Apple may not be well positioned for that next sort of technological leap, it's closed app store. I mean, there's not very many. The Microsoft apps are still very, very small at the moment. But who then do you think is best positioned? You mentioned Meta. Is it Meta? I don't think it's a win for Meta. I think Apple ends up a little bit on their heels. I think the big thing is, if you look at something like the consumer phenomenon of Wordle, the word game, that's just a web app. It didn't go through any app store at all. It's not giving a cut to anybody. It's not relying on distribution by paying for Facebook for distribution or paying Google for distribution. That's a big change. And that's what developers are looking at is really exciting for sort of the next phase. That part has me really optimistic in a way I haven't seen in many years. And I think developers are going to climb onto that. That's interesting, though, the backdrop that you paint, this mistrust of big tech, not just by consumers, but by developers as well. Who do you think is to blame for that, really? You know, there's a lot of fingers to point. I think people just sort of are wary of any overreach, right? Whether it's I don't like the creepy things they're doing with my data or I don't like the way the companies run or, you know, whatever it is, allowing abuse on a platform. All those things are things that, that kind of chip away at that trust. And developers are sort of like, that's a distraction. I want to focus on making something cool. And I don't want to over-index on developers. I just think they're a good early signal of where the whole trend tends to go, whether that's for consumers or businesses making decisions. Everybody is influenced by that. Right. But, but the, the bottom line is that you do expect maybe some new entrants in cloud at least, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do look at, you know, these days there are these uh, new cloud hosts, like I look at Netlify and Vercel. I think they're really, really interesting. I look at some of the edge stuff that's evolving with, with uh, you know, the Fastly's and Cloudflare's of the world. I think all of those are building a new platform that developers are really drawn to and feel like is aligned with, I want to get something out there in the world. I don't want to ask an app store for permission. I don't want to give somebody a cut. I don't want to be subject to somebody else's algorithm. I just want to make something cool. And maybe you get that next Wordle-sized hit. Uh, Anil, I want your take on NFTs and Web3, this idea of decentralization as the future. I can make the argument that the story of success in the commercialization of the internet has been one of centralization. Whether you're looking at Amazon and how it did what it did with supply chain and Prime, whether you look at Apple and what it did with vertical integration and its devices, uh, you look at Amazon again in the cloud and saying, hey, everybody come here to get your computing resources. Well, why is this decentralization something that's needed right now and something that's going to work? Because even with NFTs, we see all the fraud happening right yeah. now. And Adobe's talking about being able to, um, to authenticate who the artist was that created something. That's an element of centralization in order for it to work. So that's a perfect example. How do you separate the interesting technical parts? I think there are interesting technical parts of NFTs and of Web3 from the hype and also, frankly, the promises that they can't deliver. And the key distinction here is there's always been an impulse towards decentralization from the people who love the tech. 
the users love the convenience of centralization. That's sort of why things go that way. But you know, in the first wave, you had your AOLs and your Yahoos, and the second wave, you had your Facebooks and your Googles, and 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 you know that cycle continues. I do think there's going to be some pushback, and I think two reasons that that's going to change. One is the technologies for doing decentralized in a way that's still usable by a normal person are getting better. They're maturing. The web is actually maturing and, and people have a desire there. And the example you can give here is email. Email is not very centralized. You can run your own email and you can do all these things and people do that. And that's something where they it took many years for the experience to be good enough that a normal person could just do that. But it's getting there. And well, uh, I think there's a little bit of an impulse to pushing back on the centralization move. But but do that. I mean, the email argument is weird because I don't know a lot of people running their own email servers in their basements <laughs> anymore. And if you want to be a presidential candidate, you probably shouldn't do that. Right? <laughs> okay, so a lot that's of people fair. Have Gmail. But I bet you do subscribe to email newsletters from all kinds of different folks. Right. And that's something where that's part of what we look at. Yeah, there's the running your email server, but even just the ability to distribute your information. And when that email goes to your inbox, it's not sort of decided by an algorithm where it shows up. And it's not that you have to sort of pay per message. There's a lot of different changes there. And, and that's something where it's not perfect. I'm not, you know, I'm not ignoring the parts that are broken, but there's some really good potential for that as a model for imagining the next era of web. Uh, and there's a lot to figure out in that space as well. Anil, thanks for helping us think about it. Thanks so much. Good conversation. Now let's get a gut check now on Etsy. Shares are down 9% this week as the seller's strike. That continues, 20,000 closing up shop to protest the latest hike fee. Etsy now taking 6.5% on all transactions. That's a 30% increase from the 5% fee that has been in place since 2018. That's not all either, 60,000 stakeholders. They also signed a petition addressed to the CEO demanding a crackdown on resellers, customer service improvements, and the option to opt out of off site ads. That fee hike follows Etsy's strong performance throughout the pandemic. In CEO Josh Silverman's memo announcing that increase, the company boasted a 23% boost in sales since 2019 and an additional 90 million active users in 2021 alone. This year, though, another story. Though shares are up 3.5% today, Etsy stock has been slipping long before that February fee announcement. Many investors have been raising concerns, guys, over the company's profitability and growth as we return to normal. Resistance from unhappy sellers paving a slippery slope towards profitability that many just aren't willing to bet on. Etsy shares, they're now down almost 60% from their November all-time high. Carl, uh, CEO Josh Silverman saying that they need to compete with Amazon. So they need to do different things. He's not backing away from this fee increase. He's saying that in the long run, sellers are going to appreciate it. Yeah. And on the back, the backdrop, of course, is just how willing the consumer is willing to spend and chase higher prices. John, this morning, uh, J.P. Morgan's got a good look at how spending has been able to keep up, even though wages aren't keeping up because that savings rate has come down. Um, and once that once that dries up, then the question will be what kinds of choices do consumers make? Yeah, the thread I see running through all of this is run me my coins, right? Whether you're talking about Apple's App Store, we were just talking about, you know, Meta's hopes in the metaverse for that 40 up to 47 percent cut. You know, people complaining about Etsy now. People aren't building these ecosystem playgrounds just for fun. Mm -hmm. You're going to you're making money in there. You're going to end up paying up. So, you know, better figure but out your contingency plan you know, to, to not need that particular ecosystem too much if you don't want your 5% to go to six and a half. It's all about those, it's all about relative, right? Uh, John, you said earlier that fee that Meta's looking at, 47% for Horizon World. Six and a half percent, Carl, doesn't sound too bad compared to that, but 
some timing, dealing with inflation, supply chain problems. Exactly. Guys, still to come, uh, the bear case for Meta and Roku, plus an exclusive, as we said, with Microsoft's president, Brad Smith. Tech Check is just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Roku shares have been crushed lately, down 70 percent in the last year. New report points to three key challenges. Julia Borston has more on that. Julia. Well, Roku shares are up about 3 percent this morning. That's despite Moffat Nathanson with a sell rating on the stock flagging three key concerns. First, slowing revenue growth from content distribution, which had been driven by launches of the likes of Peacock, HBO Max, and Discovery Plus, warning that the Warner Brothers Discovery merger will give that new larger entity greater leverage over Roku. Second, the growing competition in the ad-supported streaming space, Moffat Nathanson predicting that will push Roku to invest more in original content, which will then pressure margins. And third, Americans seem to be moving away from devices such as that Roku box to connected TVs. Now, Roku shares have lost all of their pandemic gains. That stock down nearly 70% in the past 12 months on all those concerns and also a pull forward of streaming revenue that we've seen impact other stocks as well. But yet another streaming service that relies on Roku for distribution launched today, National Geographic Premium with Disney Plus for $11 a month. That's an extra $3 for access to Nat Geo's app and online content in addition to to Disney Plus. But it is unclear how much demand there will be for more focused services after reports that the new CNN Plus has struggled to draw viewers. CNBC.com reporting that fewer than 10,000 people are watching CNN Plus daily. Sensor Tower tells me that the app was installed 134,000 times in its first two weeks. The question is how many of the more than 55 million people who had already downloaded CNN's app converted that app to a subscription app and started paying. But CNN tells me they cannot disclose any numbers. Uh, We have to wait until earnings to learn more about that. Guys? Well, uh, Julia, on the other hand, right, well, with this note, I have to wonder um, if you believe that Roku, there it is, that Roku uh, is a real power in the streaming landscape. And, And I don't think a lot of people recognize just how many installs they have. Uh, then maybe there's some potential there. Also, when it comes to the operating system for streaming, they sort of have the purest play. So even if connected TVs are taking off, a lot of them have Roku in them. So I understand Moffat Nathanson pointing them those things out as downsides, but they could be upsides too. 
Well, and I also think we have to look at that ad-supported business question as an upside. Roku does have the Roku channel. They have advertising there. They've been investing in that. And the question is, can they build on that? Can they take advantage of the fact that there is this growing awareness of the opportunity in ad-supported streaming? That's why we see Disney Plus um, getting ready to launch their ad-supported version. Or is this going to just force Roku to invest more in both creating and licensing content, which is very expensive um, and less predictable in terms of its outcome? But I do think that they do have an advantage in that ad-supported business, the fact that they've already been there, John. So, so I'm with you on that other hand. Julia, back to the CNN Plus piece of this. Uh, you know, we just spoke to Jason Kyler. Mind you, it was his exit interview. What was it last week? And he sounded so optimistic and enthusiastic about early numbers. Um, what do you think were the expectations? As you said, you don't know how many CNN downloads were converted, but there's also reports that investments and projections are going to be cut. So what do you think the expectation was, that it would take off faster? Like, kind of put this into context for us. Well, well, look, it's, it's hard to know, right? Because this is a, it's a complicated situation. You're not just trying to get someone to download a new app. You're also trying to get that core CNN audience, many of whom already probably have that CNN app, to start paying for the premium version of that app. So there's also the question of there's viewers versus subscribers. 10,000 viewers doesn't sound like very many. Maybe they've gotten more subscribers. So I think it, it'll, it'll be an interesting one. To, to see what we learn when we get those earnings eventually, but also to understand, is this something that that the parent company, the new parent company, David Zaslav and Discovery, want to keep as a standalone product? Are they more interested in really making it part of a bundle? And I think that's a question. Is it more valuable to use CNN Plus as part of a bundle? And how many how many subscriptions are people really willing to pay for, Carl? Uh, this was a question that uh, McKinsey apparently worked on, and we're going to see if, how much that gets revised. Uh, pretty fascinating times right now uh, in the media world, Julia. We are getting some breaking news from the CDC on airline mask mandates. Phil LeBeau has that. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Carl. As many people have been uh, guessing would happen, the CDC and the TSA have decided that they are going to be extending the requirement for people to wear masks like this in airports and on airplanes for another 15 days. The current mandate is it was set to expire on Monday the 18th. It is our understanding from talking with people in the airline industry that the Biden administration, working with the CDC and the TSA, will now extend that for another 15 days, which means it'll be in place through May 3rd. Not a huge surprise, guys, given the fact that we've seen an, a surge in a number of COVID cases, particularly within the Biden administration and in Washington, D.C. And as we see some of these cases and uh, an uptick in cases around the country, many people thought that perhaps the CDC would hold off on letting the mask mandate expire on Monday. Again, it's been extended or will be announced that it'll be extended for another 15 days. Guys, back to you. Phil LeBeau, thank you. And after the break, we're going to dive into PayPal. Plus, it could get better. It just isn't. The source of that quote is next. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. 
It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Welcome back. I'm Courtney Reagan. Here's what's happening at this hour. Wholesale inflation hit a new high in March. Prices are up 11.2% over the last year. That's the highest in records going back to 2010. Energy costs are driving much of the rise. They're up more than 36% since last March. J.P. Morgan Chase marking the unofficial start to earnings season. Revenues and profits topped estimates, but investment banking activity sank after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. J.P.M. shares are now down about 3%. Bed Bath & Beyond getting hammered after the retailer posted a big, unexpected quarterly loss. The company blaming supply chain issues, the Omicron surge, and soaring inflation. The CEO also saying current challenges are exposing more short- to medium-term vulnerabilities. Bed Bath shares are off the lows of the day, but still down about 5%. And Delta Airlines helping drive travel stocks higher. Delta posted strong first quarter results and said it is seeing record travel demand. Delta says heavy demand is helping it raise prices to cover higher fuel costs. Delta shares are now up 4%. Carl, back over to you. Courtney, thanks so much. Meantime, RBC lowering its estimates and its target for Meta today, writing, quote, it could get better, it just isn't. The analyst behind that call, Brad Erickson, joins us this morning. Brad, we were just talking about your call uh, in the past half hour. Uh, talk about, really, it comes down to some channel checks you've been doing uh, regarding uh, uh, small, medium-sized businesses and their willingness to go on the platform. Uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't know. If I missed the end of the question. Apologize. Uh, just, just talk about your channel checks. Got it, got it. Thanks. Uh, yeah, and thanks for having me on. So... Yeah, we call uh, agencies that effectively represent a lot of small and medium-sized businesses. These are companies that don't necessarily have the resources or people to allocate their dollars uh, themselves. And so we try and get a, an aggregation. And we think we're hitting about 500 or 1,000 uh, total advertisers, so pretty large sample size. And basically what we're hearing is, is that there continues to be momentum away from Facebook. So about half of our sample is still seeing advertisers pull away from Facebook not even stabilize or move back towards Facebook. Can this be made up for on other platforms in the group? Uh, we, we don't necessarily think so. Obviously, everybody knows about the, the, the ongoing transition to short-form video that they're trying to run with, with uh, seeing more traffic and eventually more monetization on the, on the Reels platform. But we think that's still pretty slow going, and I think there's pretty good evidence that that's not happening any faster than expected. So this to us is still very much the core of the business. And, you know, we'd remind people that SMB is the majority of Facebook's revenue. I think people think of it as representing uh, larger advertisers just as much as SMBs. In fact, this long tail of SMBs we think is substantially larger than the, than the large advertisers. So, Brad, how could it get better then? Uh, it feels like they're doing everything from making this big bet on yeah. the metaverse to rolling out more features and products on its existing platforms. What else can Facebook Meta be doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, on a near-term basis, I think, and this is the feedback we're getting from a lot of investors, is the view that, look, it's bad today, uh, and it's probably going to be bad for, for a little while longer into the second half of the year. But as we get into Q3 and the holiday season in Q4, that, that Facebook still has the largest audience and unmatched scale, 
and they will see a lot of these dollars uh, be attracted back to the platform here for the holiday. That's kind of the, the sort of near and medium term view. Longer term, uh, definitely the Reels thesis comes into play. They're going to be able to effectively transition their user base over to that short form video content and then eventually uh, begin to monetize that in a way that, that reaches parity with what they're doing today. So those are kind of the, the, the sort of medium and long term views. Interesting. Uh, target to 240. Uh, certainly the stock uh, well above the March low of 185 or so. Brad, appreciate it. Good to see you. Brad Erickson of RBC. Thanks a lot. Microsoft President Brad Smith after the break. Tech Check is back in a moment. Time for a gut check. It's been a rough ride for Peloton. Demand down, shares off 30% year to date. And just last month, the company shared plans to cut 2,800 jobs. Former Netflix and Spotify exec Barry McCarthy proclaimed he was here for the comeback story after succeeding founder John Foley as CEO, but he might have to pedal faster. Some investors aren't cooling down with the stock back near all-time lows. Activist Blackwells is calling for Foley to, quote, recognize his own limitations, eliminate the dual-class voting structure, and consider a sale. Blackwells floating Netflix, Amazon, and Google as potential acquirers. Stay with us. Tech Check is back in two. A big privacy conference in D.C. this week. We heard from Tim Cook yesterday. Some tough words for his industry and regulators today, though. It is Microsoft's turn. Our Steve Kovac joins us live from the event with an exclusive guest. Steve, over to you. Hey there, D. I'm here with Brad Smith, uh, president and vice chair of Microsoft. Brad, just got off the keynote stage. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So I want to talk first a bit about the, uh, the disconnect between yesterday we heard from Tim Cook, today we heard from you. Tim Cook had harsher words for these regulations uh, being considered both in the EU and across the world. You seem to have kind of this more like kumbaya vibe. Let's, let's get together and, and just let this regulation happen. It's going to be good for everyone. Why is it? What is Cook and the other people pushing against this getting wrong? Well, I think there are some similarities and some differences. I mean, I, we should recognize Apple does great work around privacy, so do we. They care about cybersecurity, so do we. But there are some differences. My fundamental message today is that tech regulation is coming. It doesn't matter whether you like it or hate it. And it's right for people to point out the issues that cause concern, but more than anything, we need to lean in and figure out how to make this work because it is not going to be a success unless we do that. Now, now, making it work, so one of the big points yesterday that Cook made was this idea of open app stores, letting you install software from you know, maybe just the open web or third-party app stores. You guys have already come out and said, look, we're going to allow any app store onto our, our Windows platform. Does this stance benefit you with these two giants? You have Google and Apple kind of dominating the app economy. Are you guys seeing a benefit from this openness stance you've taken? Well, we have a more open platform. That's what we would say when we look at Windows. As you said, we let multiple app stores. They all have to comply with security and privacy and digital safety standards, but it promotes more competition. So we have found a path through that issue that we're comfortable with. But I would step back and look at the broader, really panoply of all of the regulations that are unfolding. This is a different decade. And we just can't go back to the 2010s and say, don't do this and don't do that. We are going to have this happen whether we work with it or not. It's going to work better if we try to help it succeed. Right. 
Now, at the same conference, Brad, uh, probably your best friend in the world, Lena Khan, the FTC chair, uh, was speaking just two days ago, and she kind of talked about how privacy can actually play into antitrust regulation. Uh, she's looking at your deal right now uh, with Activision, the $69 billion acquisition. Should privacy play a part in these considerations as they look at your deal? I think increasingly regulators, including at the Federal Trade Commission, look at a broad set of issues. Now, the law under which they act is an antitrust law, but I think increasingly it's very difficult to take any one of these fields and say, oh, this isn't a silo by itself. You know, we're seeing this blend of very important public policy issues and concerns. Look, from our perspective, any day that we can go to the FTC and make our case for how we think we will both promote competition and protect privacy, that's a good day. I will be enthusiastic about making that case. Hey, Brad, good morning. It's John Fort. Good to see you. Um, got a question for Hi, you. John. Hey, about uh, AR, VR, what they're calling the metaverse these days. Uh, how should commerce work there? How is Microsoft structuring that? And are you going to charge as much as 47% uh, in transaction fees on your version? I will be very surprised if you see something like that at Microsoft. I, I think that our, our point of view is there's not just one metaverse. We're really talking about multiple scenarios that will meet different needs. You know, we have business customers that are already putting our augmented reality to work you know, to improve the maintenance of machinery, say, on a manufacturing floor. We have a critical contract with the United States Department of the Army. And at the same time, we're looking at consumer services like gaming and lots of others. I do think from our perspective, it's always about building a broad ecosystem. You've got to have a platform that makes room for developers. And one way you make room for developers is you offer them a good deal. And I think you can look to Microsoft to do that. Hey, Brad, it's Deirdre. I understand the argument you're making for developers, but going back to Tim Cook's argument at the core of it is that he's saying you're sacrificing security when you have a more open platform. And as you just said, your app store will have certain standards around security that developers will have to put in place. So how is that more secure than having a central, albeit closed system? Just walk me through that. Well, the key to protecting people is to have clear and strong standards in place around issues like privacy and security. If you can put standards in place in one app store that governs a million apps, look, you can put standards in place that make room for two or three or four app stores that all have to comply with the same objective security and privacy requirements. So you can always approach these issues and put these things into conflict with each other, or you can find a way to reconcile these points. And that's our fundamental message. This era of just saying, hey, we don't like this, so stop, that worked for a while. It might even work in Congress, but it's a big world. The Europeans, the British, the Australians, the Japanese, the Koreans, they're all moving forward. We're gonna be better served as a country if the United States plays an active role as well. All right, Brad. Thank you so much for taking the time. Like you said in your keynote, it's going to be a wild decade for these issues. So I'm looking forward to talking to you more. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having thanks. me. Thanks. Guys, I'll send it back to you. And Steve, thanks so much for bringing that to us. Uh, good discussion there. Meanwhile, PayPal, is it undervalued or overvalued? That stock is down 46% since the start of the year. We're going to have both sides of that debate after the break. 
Welcome back. Got a leadership change at PayPal. Longtime CFO John Rainey is leaving for Walmart. Shares are falling on the news now, down 45% year to date. So undervalued or still overvalued here? On the undervalued side, bulls like Webbush say the change in management isn't a surprise given multiple consecutive earnings resets. Mizuho agrees, arguing that a change was needed after PayPal made a quote, glaring mistake of saying it could reach 750 million accounts by 2025, only to walk it back a few months later. But still bullish, stock is, quote, attractive from a valuation and strong brand presence perspective. Right now, shares trade at 22 times forward P.E. That's well below peers like Block, which traded over 100 times. And it's well below where PayPal has historically traded. Competitors SoFi and Robinhood still both not profitable. That's the bullish take. The overvalued side, firms like BTIG, Worrying that a business slowdown, pointing to slower user growth, slowing revenue growth. Other worries include overall e-commerce sales, which the company says will increase by 10 percent. But some analysts think that's aggressive. Earnings in the last two weeks, in, in just two weeks, so we'll find out more then. John, this morning, Kramer goes into a bit of a mea culpa for believing the company's uh, promises of better quarters ahead. Yeah, I- I'm still trying to sort through all of the action in fintech. Um, We just had Bolt on yesterday talking about crypto being the future of payments. I don't believe that, but I do think that uh, PayPal could be more aggressive in solving some of the problems that these upstarts like Bolt D are going after, like that quicker checkout. Mm. Of course, they they sort of made their bones doing that in the beginning, but things have shifted a bit. That's exactly it, John. They could be more aggressive, and they just haven't been over the years. You think that this company had this huge lead with Venmo. They got so many young people onto the platform, using it so often, and they didn't convert them to other products. And not only that, they couldn't monetize them, Carl. And now you have Block, Square, Cash, excuse me, formerly Square, the Cash app users catching up with Venmo, and it's hard not to see that PayPal kind of blew its chance. Yeah, and it does really make, as we remember that day, John, where the Pinterest thing broke and people started asking all hosts of questions about what they could possibly be thinking. What did this portend longer term? We're sort of in that longer term now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there are always people willing to justify, uh, you know, management wanting to spend a few billion dollars. But, uh, you know, n- now they've, I guess, got to focus on the core a bit more. We'll see how they do D this coming quarter. <laughs> On the other hand, John, uh, they still have those huge numbers, right? What is it? I think more than 400 million users on uh, PayPal as a whole. I don't know how many of them are active. So they do still have the feed, you know, the SoFi's, the Robinhoods, the Coinbase's of the world. They're still trying to catch up and they're still trying to figure out their strategy, how to convert um, some of those users to other different products that may be more lucrative. Life comes at you fast. We'll see what they can do. Meanwhile, in a tight labor market, many companies looking to lure talent. New today, Lowe's is expanding uh, its college benefits program using Guild, formerly Guild uh, Education, debt-free. So I spoke to the company's uh, executive vice president of HR earlier today on Fort Knox. For the full interview, head on over to our LinkedIn page. Here on TechCheck, stocks are firmly in the green today, building on yesterday's gains. NASDAQ up Let's see, uh, about one and a half percent. We're back in a moment. Hey, good news. If you missed part of the show, don't kick yourself. You can listen to the podcast. It's available wherever you usually download them. You can subscribe and follow today. That's the Tech Check Podcast. And one more thing, that is Google's ramped up investment in real estate, announcing another $9.5 billion for U.S. office space and data centers this year. Google says that commitment will lead to the creation of at least 
12,000 jobs in 2022. The plan right now is to open a new office in Atlanta and expand its data center presence in Nevada, Nebraska, and Virginia. Stock, though, is down double digits this year. As we've seen, tech increasingly continue to be volatile. Um, guys, this investment in real estate, we've had these headlines come out of Google over the last year, even throughout the pandemic. So we talk a lot about how tech workers are reluctant to return to office and how their employers need to make it attractive. Certainly, Google is trying to do that. <laughs> yeah, Carl. I mean, talk about hybrid. They're spending on data centers to help people uh, work remote with cloud technology, and they're spending on actual office space. So this uh, remote thing, we can't overdo it talking about it. I mean, even the companies making the digital technologies that own all this previously dark fiber are still investing in, uh, in good old desk space. Yeah, I love this line, too, from Google. Uh, it might seem counterintuitive to step up our investment in physical offices, even as we embrace more flexibility in how we work. Yet we believe it's more important than ever to invest in our campuses. And mm -hmm. I don't know, uh, $9 billion will get you, uh, get you some pretty decent uh, facilities in Nevada, Nebraska, D. Yeah, it's exactly like John said. It's sort of hybrid. This is maybe the way to do it. I think everyone is trying to figure out the right way, but um, data centers and actual office desk space is a combo to kind of get that get that shift started. Microsoft doing the same thing. Carl and Redmond building out, you know, and, and renovating a new campus. Yeah, very good. Um, guys, we got some decent gains on the NASDAQ today. At one point, up barely a 1.5% as we got some yields backing off. Uh, currently, Dow up 128 and the S&P 44.23 or so. Don't forget, tomorrow's a very big day between retail sales, City, Goldman, Morgan Stanley. We'll get some Taiwan Semi in there as well. Uh, so buckle up for earnings season. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.